0: Hello, this is Dr. Mike Barnett with the First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, Mississippi. Thank you so very much for tuning in to our podcast, and I pray that today's message will be a blessing and an encouragement to you. We are engaging our people at First Baptist Church in an emphasis called Who's Your Mission? It is a challenge to personal soul winning and personal evangelism for the year 2023. We've asked our people to ask God for at least one soul to be burdened for, that they might go after that soul and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the theme of these current messages. And I pray that they will encourage you to be a soul winner and go after one soul that needs to be saved now and to know Jesus now. I pray these messages will help you. And again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, choir. Woods, you may know what that is. That's uh, our Who's Your Mission evangelism outreach. Every white ball represents um, somebody that a member of our church is praying for and concerned for their soul. They're lost. There's over 200, about 240 of them, and uh, 13 have already come to Christ. And uh, so that's what the orange balls represent. Now, I'll tell you all that to tell you that a couple of weeks ago, we had a funeral here, and I went into the back, the, the front foyer, to visit with the funeral directors as I do every funeral. They're friends of mine, and I, I was visiting fellowship and fellowshipping with them. And I walked back there, and the lead funeral director said, uh, Dr. Mike, what, what is this? Because it was back up there. He said, what, what is this? And I said, Oh, that's our evangelism, soul winning emphasis. Uh, and each ball represents Somebody who needs Jesus And the orange balls Are those who've come to Christ And the young funeral director Looked at him and said See I told you It didn't have anything to do with bingo <laughs> Now isn't that something I looked at him and I said You thought it had something to do with bingo And, and I've known him for 22 years And he said Yeah I said There's no numbers on the ball Man you know, I you know no better than that, but uh, it's certainly more important than bingo. Well, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Esther on this Father's Day. We're going to take a look at the book of Esther. Esther is one of the most thrilling and wonderful historical accounts recorded in the Bible. Everybody who's ever read the book of Esther wants to read it again. It is a fascinating And wonderful account of the providence of God in His work. I call Esther the fingerprints of God. Because the name of God is never mentioned. And prayer, directly praying, is not mentioned at all. But yet you can see God at work all through its pages. And it is a marvelous story. If you've never read the book of Esther, I want to encourage you to read it. And uh, ask God to show you His loving providence and His guidance. And uh, it'll make you an optimist. It really will that God is in charge. And so today you say, Well, Esther is a woman. And it's um, Father's Day. Well... In the book of Esther, there is also a foster father. And his name is Mordecai. And so today, I want to talk about this wonderful man named Mordecai. Most of the time we focus on Esther, we consider Esther. And so we should. She was certainly the one in the trenches, and on the battlefield, and the one with so much uh, to lose. But Mordecai was faithful as well. But let me just hasten to say this. uh, Mordecai was a foster father, and he was a man. All fathers are men. Amen. All fathers are men. That's That's one thing I've learned from reading the Bible. All fathers are men everywhere you look. If a a man is a father in the Bible, he is just that, a man. I want to point out some things about Mordecai today to encourage you men, all of you men. Now, you might be here saying, well, I'm not a father. Well, biologically, you may not be. Technically, you may not be. But let me tell you how you can be a father. You take a a dad who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, wants to teach his children the values of biblical manhood, of the Christian ethic and the Christian practice. He wants his sons and his daughters to see that God's people are a unique, holy priesthood unto the Lord. And they're different from the world. In that sense, when that father brings his children to First Baptist Ocean Springs, Mississippi, you need to model biblical manhood in everything you do. And while you may not be a father, you are a father figure. Because I want to tell you, my kids grew up in this church, and they're watching you. They're watching you. And there's little kids, all these kids going to children's church. They're watching you. You are a father figure. And if there's a dad in here teaching his kids biblical truth and how to apply it, he sure can use some other men in his church family and in our community, which may or may not happen but in our church family for sure, who model biblical manhood. Now, folks, what I just told you right there is good preaching, whether you like it or not. Amen? I only got one amen, and that was from a staff member. We pay him to say amen. All right? So, what do you say to that? Amen. All right, well, mostly women. Open up your Bibles to Ecclesi- uh, Esther chapter 2, verse 5. We'll start with this description of Mordecai. Now, in Sushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shemai, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been carried away when Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter. For she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. The first thing I want you to notice about this man named Mordecai was his circumstances. His circumstances. Mordecai's great-grandfather according to our text, was among the Jews back in Judea who had forsaken the Lord, who were the whole... He lived in a time when the whole nation was idolatrous and turning against God, turning away from their God, so much so that God judged them and had the entire nation carried away captive by Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, for 70 years. After 70 years, the Persians conquered the Fertile Crescent world. And Cyrus, the Persian, allowed the Jews to go back to Judea. And Mordecai's ancestors were among the Jews who did not go back. They did not go back to Jerusalem, to Judea. They stayed in Iran, and Iraq, and all that area. That's where they stayed, in Persia. And they raised their family, and one generation came, and another generation came. And here we have this man named Mordecai. Some commentators would tell you that this Mordecai was a backslidden Jew because he should have gone back. I don't agree with that necessarily because the text doesn't say, and the text is certainly not condemning of him, and the text certainly is not rebuking him, but that was his circumstances. His ancestors made decisions, and here he is. And that's what happens. And so Mordecai was there in Persia, in the capital city of the Persian Empire, a descendant of those who did not return. Another circumstance that he found himself in, which is highlighted in our book of Esther, was that he was raising a young lady by the name of Hadassah. It's very apparent that she was much younger than him, but she was his cousin. She was the daughter of Mordecai's uncle. It could have been a great uncle, but nonetheless, it was an uncle. And Hadassah was in the cousin line of relations. And he was raising her because her parents had died. Now, that's his circumstance. That was his family. We're not told if he had a wife or other children. We're just told he was raising Hadassah, who, that was her Hebrew name, who we know of as Esther. That was his family. Now, I want to share something with you that I think needs to be said today, and I want to encourage you a little bit. In all these years of being a pastor and being a principal, superintendents in our church, former superintendents are in our church, they've seen it. If you're a school teacher, you've seen it. I've seen what they call blended families, hers and mine and his and mine. I've seen what they call foster families. I've seen grandparents raising grandchildren. I've seen, uh, very similar to this, nephews and nieces that men and women were raising up. And you know what they all had in common, every one of them? They were a family. They were a family. This was Mordecai's family. Call him what you will, a foster dad, foster father, what have you, but they were a family. Now, what's in a family? I think we see it with Mordecai. Love was in this family. He loved Esther. Love was in this family. Care was in this family. Nurture was in this family. Admonition was this in this family. God is watching over this family. Now, folks, whatever is in your household, whatever, however your household is defined by terms that I just used, just remember this. Stepchildren, foster children, you're a family. You're a family. Amen. Amen. You're a family. And God has ordained the family as priority. Regardless of what it looks like, it's a family. Love, admonition, care, provision, nurture. That's very important. What about you dads, your children? You're not able to have them every week and every day. You can be a family. I want to tell you one of the most amazing things I get to see as a pastor is men and women who do an outstanding job, even in joint custody. It can be done. I've seen it done. You're a family. That's his circumstances. Notice the second thing about old Mordecai was his culture. The culture he lived in. Chapter 1 describes this culture to us. Verse 1, now it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. Probably this is the Xerxes that was mentioned, uh, the Persian king. And he had a huge empire from India, even under Ethiopia, 127 provinces. He was the king of the world, this Ahasuerus. But he was a very wicked, sinful man. And the leadership was wicked and sinful. Therefore, the culture was wicked and sinful. It all rises and falls on leadership. And so, Ahasuerus chapter 1 tells us about this culture. Let let me share some things about this culture that, that Mordecai was raising Esther up in. And I want you to see if it sounds familiar. First of all, it was an adulterous, sexually oriented culture. It really was. It was a culture dominated by alcohol. It was a culture of arrogance. And it was a culture that turned adversarial. Let me explain. Ahasuerus was having a party one night with all his leaders And they got to drinking and got drunk. And the Bible speaks of that many times in chapter 1. Let me just say this to you. I will never say one good thing about alcohol. You might, but I won't because I see what it does. But nonetheless, look what it did to Mordecai and his family. The king got drunk and said, Well, let me get my wife Vashti in here. And she will dance for us. Now, this wasn't a ballet, folks. This was, this was perverted. And I love Vashti. I don't know if she's going to be in heaven or not. But I know one thing. She had some morals. And she told her drunken husband, Absolutely not. I will not do it. Well, I'm going to kick you out. Kick me out. I will not do it. I love her. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And I won't tell you what, she took her stand and got kicked out, got excommunicated. God help us when we live in a culture that is so sexually oriented that even our wives become objects of sexual perversion. That was their culture. And the arrogance that he had. In chapter 2, the Bible says that he um, decided after he calmed down a little bit and what he decreed against her, he said, I I, I need to find me a wife. I've, I've already got a got, um. Uh, a uh, bunch of concubines, but I need a wife. And the arrogance to say, we're going to find one in the kingdom. And he sent out a decree. That's what chapter 2 teaches us, that all the maiden virgins had to report to the palace, to the capital, for the possibility of being chosen as the queen, as the wife. How arrogant is that? And it turned to be adversarial to take a man's daughter from his home and say, we're going to decide the course of her life. We're going to say what becomes of your children. Does that sound kind of familiar? And so... They did. That's the culture Mordecai came in. Dads, let me share share this with you. The culture that we live in that says it is despicable to not believe it is right to kill babies before they're born. The culture we live in says... It is despicable to not celebrate the transgender mentality. It's despicable. It's just not agreeing with transgender. You are despicable if you disagree with it. Well, I know we're on YouTube, and I don't know how many people listen to it. I disagree with it based upon Genesis where it says God created Adam and Eve. And Jesus said he created them male and female. Amen? Amen. And I want to tell you something, I was born a male, I'm 58 years old, I've always been a male, I've always been a man, and I'm going to be as long as Jesus wants me to be, amen. amen. Uh-huh. That's good preaching, whether you like it or not. But that's the culture we live in. And good old-fashioned Bible-centered dads don't have the competence to raise their children. So they have to, they, to, to proceed with that mentality in our nation, it has to go under the cover. It's an amazing thing. Let me share something with you. I went to Southern Baptist Convention, and on Tuesday night, not necessarily connected to the convention, I I went to uh, a ballroom at the Hilton Hotel to hear Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State, speak. I love Mike Pompeo. He's a godly man. You know he teaches fifth grade Sunday school. Fifth grade Sunday school. And Mike Pompeo said that his first act when he took office as Secretary of State, the first thing he did was sign an executive order making religious freedom as the premier standard for how we deal with foreign countries in the world. That's what we push for, that's our priority religious liberty around the world and then he said when his term of office was done after four years he said I had no sooner driven rid rode the elevator down walked outside got in the vehicle to go where I was gonna go that the new secretary of state signed an executive order as Secretary of State, saying that the number one priority of the state office in the United States of America is now LGBTQ plus equity around the world. Our dealings with how we deal with another country now and the bargains we make and the deals we make and the treaties we make went from religious liberty for its people to the promotion and elevation of LGBTQ plus that's the culture that's after your children. That's the culture that Mordecai found himself in. And so Esther is taken by the king along with the young virgins of the empire. And he goes in, she goes in, and he does not know what's going to happen to her. But then we see in chapter 2, 10, and 11 that Esther did not reveal herself to be a Jew. Whether you disagree with that, whether that was the right thing to do, or not, that's what they did. That was Mordecai's wisdom that he gave her. But look at verse 11. And Mordecai walked every day before the court of the women's house to know how Esther did and what should become of her, his concern that he had. He was a concerned father. He was worried about his children. Do you worry about your children? Do you worry about your grandchildren? You say, well, worry's a sin. Well, I want to tell you, I worry. I can remember when, before I got used to the empty nest. Amen? You know what I'm talking about? How many remember, the, a lot of you are empty nesters, but how many of you remember getting used to the empty nest? I mean, the water bill and the electric bill went way down. But uh, I want to, and the food bill went down, but the worries went up. And uh, I remember I was talking with Bob Fayard, who's with the Lord, and I said, Brother Bob, last night I just, I woke up in the middle of the night, and I just had, was filled with anxiety and worry about my kids. And if y'all remember Brother Bob, he was calm and Always wise and cool and collected. And he said, Preacher, that's when you pray. And I said, You're right. You're right. But Mordecai was just like us. He was concerned about his kid. He was concerned about sweet Esther. But then we see something else about him. We see his citizenship. Chapter 2, verse 21 Mordecai goes every day to the gate just to find out some news about his children. Isn't it wonderful to have cell phones to keep up with your children? Amen. Well, Mordecai didn't have one. He had to go to the gate, the gate of the palace. And the Bible says that one day he was at the gate, and he overheard a conversation. Two of the king's chamberlains, Big Fan and t Two names to not name your kids after. And they were kept the door and they were angry and they sought to lay hands on the king. And the thing was known to Mordecai. He, he got wind of it and he told it to Esther the queen. And Esther informed the king of it in Mordecai's name. Esther had been chosen as queen, by the way. And when inquiry was made into the matter, they found out that they were, they were treasonists. And, and, and um, they both were, were hung for their crime. And it was written down in the, in the record books of the king that, that this man named Mordecai had saved the day. And then it was put in a shelf and forgotten. But there we see something that is forgotten in our country, Mordecai's citizenship His citizenship. Herbert Lockyer, the great author of the All, A.L.L. series, said this, Mordecai was the virtuous patriot, and he exercised great citizenship then. So wait a minute, this is the king that stole Esther. This is the king that that had such a view of women, he could give them... Give and take anytime he wanted. And and Mordecai was out there and had an opportunity to see an overthrow. Probably would not have worked, by the way. And, and he turned those two rebels in. Yes, he did. Because it was the right thing to do. He practiced good citizenship. He practiced good citizenship. Book of Proverbs tells us to honor the Lord and honor the king and be not associated with those who are given to change. What does that mean? Well, that's a reference to to the the protest mentality. You know, everybody wants to have a protest. Burn, Burn something down to protest. That's the kind of change. But the Bible says honor the king, and Mordecai did exactly What was right. And so dads. We need to be good citizens. In our town. In our state. In our county. and state. In our nation. We need to be voters. We need to honor. Our nation. And it's history. Coming up the weekend of the 4th of July. I'm going to preach a patriotic sermon. These young preachers. Not cold. But other young preachers got me all mad they said we shouldn't have anything to do with patriotism shouldn't even have the flag in our sanctuary they done got me mad so i'm preaching a patriotic sermon amen Amen. and here's here's the title of it you ready take the comma c-o-m-m-a take the comma out now if you want to know what that means you got to come that sunday and I'll preach it to you. If you get big money in the plate, I'll talk to you personally. But anyway. <laughs> but his citizenship, just do what is right. Be a man that does what is right. Teach your children our history in this country. Teach them about our freedoms. Mordecai did the right thing. I imagine there was a Hour coming when he thought, I should have let him try to kill the king. But he did the right thing. And then chapter 3, 1 through 6, we see something else about Mordecai. There was in those days a right-hand man to King Ahasuerus by the name of Haman. He was the last of the Amalekites, his family. As a matter of fact, he was a descendant of the king Agag that, uh, had, that uh, Samuel killed. God had judged the Amalekite nation because of their total disregard and their wicked deeds of unrighteousness and total disregard for, for righteousness and, and life. And God had decreed that the Amalekites would be wiped from the face of the earth. God can do that. But they weren't. And this man by the name of Haman was a right-hand man in the court. And he was an arrogant, pompous man. And Ahasuerus lifted him up and elevated him up to supremacy in the kingdom. And he honored him. And Haman liked that. Last week, my good friend mentioned the preacher Lester Roloff. Lester Roloff was a hero of mine. And he was a unique preacher. And this is what he said about Haman. He was more hay than he was man. I like that. That sounded just like Brother Roloff. But he did enable us to see Mordecai's convictions. Now it was that everybody was to bow down to Haman. Well, upon a day, Mordecai gets up and goes to the gate. I'm going to check on Esther. I'm concerned about Esther. And he goes to the gate. And Haman comes out of the palace in his entourage. And everybody at the gate just bows down. They just bow down. But Mordecai stands tall. He will not bow to this man. He will not bow. Haman sees it. And he gets upset. He gets mad. Because this Jew, Mordecai, will not bow down to the Amalekite who sought to butcher the Jewish people. He will not bow down, and he gets mad. To make a long story short, we're talking about Mordecai, so I won't spend too much time on this. What Haman did was, is Haman manipulated around to hang Mordecai. To have him hung, and also to butcher all the Jews in the kingdom, trick the king into signing a decree that it would be done. But in all of that we see mortify, Mordecai's convictions. His convictions would not allow him to bow. And he operated out of principle, not convenience. It it was dangerous. For him to stand. It was dangerous for him to not yield. But he did not yield. And he just kept on standing. Even after it had gotten word. That, that, that it's illegal. He's got to. He stood by his convictions. While the gallows were being built. He stood by his convictions. Gentlemen. We need to be men. Of conviction. We've got to have some convictions against sin. Let me ask you, Dad. What do you let in your home across the television screen? Do you have some guards on their cell phones, men? Do you have some safeguards? Well, preacher, I... That's a little extreme. I, mine are teenagers. And uh, you know, boys will be boys. That's exactly why you need to have safeguards. Amen. That's exactly why you need to have safeguards. Because boys will be boys. Well, what do you let in your home? Convictions. Do you have biblical convictions? That, that you're not going to cater to what this world wants to bring into your home. And how it will affect your children. You, you, you've, got to, you've got to have and stand by your convictions. And it is difficult. It's unpopular at times. It puts your kids in the spot. Sometimes, because other dads don't enforce those convictions about the way they dress and how they carry themselves, things of that nature. I'm talking about when they're in your house. Now, when they get out of your house, they can have their own convictions. Hopefully, it'll be formed by your convictions. But if not, they in your house. Amen. Amen. I remember one time, and I'm going to say this. I, 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 it, it's it's uh, pure, and it's, uh, it's not risque at all because we're married, but I was kissing old Miss Tracy in the kitchen one day. And my son walks by, Wesley. And Wesley says, get a room. And I said, hold it, hold it, hold it. I said, I've got ten rooms, a garage, and a shed. You're the one without the room. Amen. Huh? You all like that? Stephen, you can use that one day. But nonetheless, uh, that's the truth. This is my house. Amen. I pay the bills up in here, and what I say goes. And what I say doesn't go, doesn't go. Men, take your house back. Amen. Huh? And oh. Boy, if they ever smart off to your mama, you better stand up and say, That's the woman I love and I'm married to, boy. She went to this door to have you. You do that again, I'll knock you into the middle of next week. (laughs) Well, a few of you agree with me. (laughs) Amen. His convictions. Notice his cry we see in chapter 4, 1 through 3. And when Mordecai learned of what was done, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out into the center of the city and cried with a loud and bitter cry and came before the king's gate for none might enter into the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. That decree went out that the evil Haman had perpetrated upon the Jewish people and Mordecai went and cried. Gentlemen, I mourn for my country. I mourn for what's happening in our country, in our culture. It's not the same America that I grew up in, and frankly, I'm not all that old. And some of you wonderful gentlemen in your 70s and 80s, you remember an even wonderful, better America Than I grew up in. What has happened. To our America. And our culture. Well. Mordecai was burdened for it. I cannot say. That he prayed. Because the Hebrew word cry. Stan Gartman doesn't mean pray. It means to mourn. So I I cannot say that he prayed. At the same time, he he might have, but prayer's not mentioned in the text. But he mourned for his country. And then I want you to see chapter 4, verse 13, that famous text. The courage that he instilled in Esther. He he went to talk to Esther about it, and he told Esther what, what was going on. And and he said, they're going to kill every Jew. That includes me. They don't know you're a Jew. And he said, you've got to do something. You're the one in position to do something, to change this culture, to change the nation, to solve this problem. And she said, well, do you realize that if I am not summoned by the king and I approach the king, Persian law says I can be executed. Honey, I know that. But there's got to be something. She goes, Well, the only way I'll be safe is the king lowers the scepter. That's the custom. If he doesn't lower the scepter, I can be executed. I'll be another Vashti. But if he lowers the scepter to me, then I'll tell you what will happen. He'll receive me. And then Mordecai gave her this, verse 14. And who knows whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. They were in a situation that demanded the courage of Esther. That demanded the courage of Esther. By the way, let me share something with you. This is the result of... Of strong family life. Is this book about Esther? Well, she's mentioned 56 times in the book. Mordecai is mentioned 60 times in the book. They they were a family. Almost the same. And iron sharpened iron in this family. And one could not be courageous without the other. And Mordecai said, Esther, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to follow your heart, sweetheart. Is that what he said? Follow your heart. No, the heart's desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, Esther, I I, I tell you what, just do anything you want, Esther. Esther. Look out for yourself, Esther. Be successful on your own, Esther. Is that what he said? Esther, if you work real hard, all your dreams will come true. Now, I'm 58 years old, and I know that's a lie. No, he told her, Esther, you're here for this time. You're here to change things. You're here to make a difference by being different. We look back on it and we could say, Esther, you were there for the providence of God. God puts you in place. And today's New Testament family, we could say to our teenagers and our college kids and our children, you are here for the cause of Christ. You're here for your mission. You change the culture by being godly in this ungodly world. That's what you're here for, to give glory to God. And you instill courage in them for Christ. By being courageous yourself. What what if Mordecai had compromised and bowed down to Haman? Esther could have said, Well, Mordecai, I'm sorry you raised me and I love you, but good grief, you were out there bowing to wicked Haman. I'm not going to listen to you. You don't have any credibility with me. You're a compromiser yourself. But no, he stood so she could stand. Dad, you want your children to stand for Jesus. You need to stand for Jesus. His cry, his courage. Well, Esther did. And I love the story. you got to read the story. Sure enough, I ha- the Bible says Ahasuerus loved Esther. You know, I think we need to not fear the world so much because you know what? God can put a love in wicked people and wicked leaders for us. He really can. You know who was like that? Billy Graham was like that some of those wicked leaders in our country loved Billy Graham. Why? Because God put a love in their heart for him so he could share the gospel with them. Some of them were saved. Many were not. But I want to tell you, God can put a love in our leaders for somebody. Now, we don't need to be acting like a bunch of jerks, but we need to love them back and use our opportunities to share the gospel. And sure enough, Ahasuerus loved Esther, and he lowered the scepter, and here she comes, and she told him all that had happened. And the long story short, remember that she had a feast for Haman, and and, uh, well, Haman just got caught and was hung on the gallows he had built for Mordecai. Read the story. It's an interesting story. And verse 15, after a long night of chapter 8, after a long night of not being able to sleep, The king said, I I, I can't sleep. i got insomnia. Go get the record books. Go get the minutes from the previous meetings and read them to me, and that will surely put me to sleep. And they read about Mordecai and his faithfulness and his citizenship. And the Bible says that king honored him and put a crown on Mordecai's head. To the chagrin of Haman, put a crown on his head, rode him around... I mean, it looked like the king of England being inaugurated. And that lonesome, worried, crying Jew was lifted up. You know, the Bible says that children's children are the crown of old men. And God will give you a crown of glory if you will be a Mordecai. So... I'm closing, but I'm not going to say in closing because I've got five little things you need to do, men. And if I say in closing, you'll start getting ready to leave. So don't start getting ready to leave. Please don't. Ladies, you need to listen to this too because you are certainly a motivating factor to your men. Amen? Motivator. Number one, gentlemen, what do you do with these lessons from Mordecai Number one, my Mordecai may not have prayed, you can pray. And pray for your children. I pray for mine every morning. And I pray for many of yours every morning. And I pray for many of yours weekly and monthly. Some of your kids and grandkids are on the refrigerator, their pictures on the refrigerator. And I know they have special needs in their life, special issues, issues they're facing, and you're burdened for them, and you've shared with me. And their pictures are on our refrigerator, and I go to the refrigerator 472 times a day. (laughs) And I see their picture, and I pray for them as I stand at the refrigerator. And if I can do that, you can pray for your own every day. And you pray that God would save them if they're not saved. And you pray that God will give them convictions and that God will take his word and put it in their hearts and their brain and remind them of it when they need it in the hour of temptation. And you pray for their success, but above all, pray for their spirituality that they grow in the likeness of Jesus. And you pray for them. Number two. Lead your children to Jesus Gentlemen, I'm going to say it And if you get mad, it's your business, not mine But if you have lost children or a lost grandchild And they're not one of your missions You're backslidden on God And you need to be more concerned about their souls And let your church family know to pray for them And minister to them And be burdened for them And share that burden with your church family You say, preacher, do you really believe that? I just said it. Amen. You say, well, is that the magic to end all? No, but I want to tell you what. It's an opportunity you don't need to pass up. Win your children to Jesus. Sit them down if they're not saved. Around the dining room table. Turn off the TV. Tell them, take your cell phone out. I don't even bring my cell phone into this this sanctuary. It's a sanctuary. Amen. Amen. I have come in here to worship, not look at the phone. It, my, my cell phone's up in my office. Now, listen. Sit them around that table. Pull out your cell phone. Turn that rascal off. Put it aside and say, y'all do the same. We're just going to be here a few minutes. And when, when the emergency crew is left, because they're not going to be able to handle it, amen? <laughs> Some of them can't handle it. You sit them down. And share with them your testimony of when you were saved. And say, I have shared that with you because it's the most important thing that ever happened in my life. And the second most important thing that ever happened in my life was your mom. And the third thing that ever happened in my my life was you. And I wanted to tell you about the most important thing in my life that changed my life and changed my future. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. Because of that event in my life, what Jesus did for me. And I want you to know what, occurred, what happened to me can happen to you. And that's our prayer and that's our burden. And then you began to draw the net and bring them to Jesus. But your children need to know your testimony when you came to Christ. Even if you're empty nesters, tell them about when you came to Christ. Win them to Jesus. Number three, teach them biblical truth. Teach them biblical truth. Now, can you say amen to that? We'll help you do that at church. But you said amen, so say amen to this. And get this. Listen to me. Teach them biblical truth, not simply Bible stories. Teach them biblical truth beyond simple Bible stories. You say, well, there is none. You're right. But let me tell you what I mean by that. You teach them that David killed Goliath, or that Jesus walked on water, and they know Jesus walked on water, they're going to go to some university somewhere, and they're going to hear totally contrary to the laws of miracles, and they're going to be told a man can't walk on water, that's a myth, and they might believe it. But if you tell them how that account, that historical account of Jesus walking on the water or David killing Goliath can change their life and have spiritual truth for them, God's truth for them, biblical truth for them, I want to tell you what, it'll be in their heart and mind never to leave. That's what the Bible means when it says train up a child when he he is old in the way he should go and when he's old he will not depart from it. What does that mean? It means he can't get away from it. He might rebel against it, but he or she cannot get away from it. That's what that means. And so if my kids go off into sin, I want to tell you something, the Holy Spirit of God's going to be hounding them day in and day out. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You know better, you know better, you know better. They're not going to be able to get away with it. Amen. And then number four, be a man against the culture with other men. Be a man against the culture with other men. Stand by biblical, with biblical, godly convictions. Insture, instill courage for Christ in your children. Be a man against the culture with other men against the culture. Now, far be it from First Baptist Church to say make a statement like that and not give you an opportunity to get started. So, coming up, August the 6th, on Sunday morning, a Sunday school class, men's class. If you're not in a Sunday school class, or you uh, need a Sunday school class, what have you, and you're a, a man, don't have to be a biological daddy, you can be a man. On August the 6th, a new class is getting started. It's going to be on Sunday morning. I do not know the room number yet. That's why it's dot dot up there. If I knew the room number, it'd be numbers up there. Amen. But we'll get it to you. It's taught by one of our men in our church, Ron Sharpie. You know where Ron Sharpie is today? He's with his daughter today. I love Ron Sharpie. He helps with our football ministry. And Ron Sharpie's going to be teaching that class. And the textbook is the Bible. But the guidebook is the man, a book called by Gene Getz, which I love. I've read this book. It's been around a long time. The Measure of a Man. On the back it says more than a million copies sold. But you're not going to have to buy a copy. We'll give you one. And so you get in that class and start coming to that class. Get with other men who have the same struggles that you do. The same burdens that you do. The same lusts that you do. The same issues with their sinful flesh that you do. Let iron sharpen iron. And we're providing you a way to start that and to do that. And who knows what God will bring out of it. Amen? And so that's for men. You say, well, I'm an old man. Can I go? Yes, you can. Well, I'm a young man. Can I go? Yes, you can. And so you say, well, what about my wife? We have some women's classes for them, and they're wonderful. Amen. Where's Angela Reed? Angela Reed, there you are. Angela Reed teaches one of our women's class. Get in her class. Amen. Women, how, how many of you go to her class? Look at the ladies go. Look, oh, look all over here. Amen. I like Angela. If I was a woman, that's where I'd go to class. But anyway, <laughs> the measure of a man. Get in it. That's the challenge. And then be an optimist in the Lord. Knowing that we shall all wear a crown one day. We shall all wear a crown. We are God's people. We are within the will of God and the providence of God. He is at work in our culture. All is not lost. All is not lost. Why? Because if you're in Christ, you are not lost. And if your children come to Jesus, they are not lost. All is not lost. The Lord is good and mighty and strong in battle. The Lord is faithful. The Lord keeps His promises. I cry for my country, but I'm an optimist for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Can America have revival? It sure can. We're going to work and pray and hope for that and be obedient to the Lord for that. But I want to tell you, I know sure enough, the church is going to wear a crown. And so be an optimist. Teach your children to love God's people. Love the Word of God. Love the church. Love the lost. Teach them to love America. Teach them to love their siblings. Amen. Men, teach them to love their mama. Amen. And be an optimist about the Lord. Highs and lows, be an optimist. Well, I hope I encourage you today and helped you today. Let's stand together and let's bow our heads together. Gentlemen, this is the invitation. If you're not 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, the invitation is for you to come forward and take Cole or me by the hand and say, I want Jesus as my Savior. And we'll help you. We'll help you, and we'll guide you through the Scriptures. Maybe God is leading you to unite with First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs. You know, folks, I still believe in church membership because it's accountability, and it's making a commitment. And so if, if God is leading you you unite with First Baptist Church of Ocean Springs, maybe you need to be baptized by immersion. Maybe you need to join by letter. Maybe you need to join by statement. Uh, maybe you just have some questions. We're here to help, and you come on down. Men in particular, the, uh, in, the invitation for you, maybe you're saved, you know the Lord, and you're not in Sunday school. The invitation is for you to say right in your pew right now, August 6th, I'll be there. Single, single man, I'll be there. Married with children, married no children. Divorced, recently divorced. Newly married, whatever. I'm a man. I'm going to be there. That's the invitation. This is Cole Andrews. Thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I just wanted to encourage you to visit our website, fbcosms.com.